afternoon, everybody, and, and welcome to this uh, joint uh, uh, webinar on behalf of the Michigan Municipal League and the Michigan Association of Counties. I'm Dan Gilmartin. I'm the executive director and the CEO at the league and wanted to welcome local officials from throughout the state here today from all walks of local government uh, to talk about the American Rescue Plan and how it's gonna be impacting your communities, your county, and really the entire state of Michigan. We're here today to hopefully uh, answer a lot of the technical questions you have, answer some of the questions about uh, uh, that we're getting at our respective organizations about what, what's a, what, what we're able to do and, and how people should be thinking. And maybe even more importantly, uh, we're here today together to get people to think a little bit further than sort of their uh, the way in which we look at, at funds uh, historically and think about how these funds could perhaps be transformational for your neighborhood, for your community, for your county, for your region, for our entire state. So um, I think one of the lessons we really want to get through and we want everybody to be thinking about is how can we leverage the monies uh, coming that are coming in overlapping areas. So you're going to find situations where you've got a city that's getting money, that's in a county that's getting money, um, there's going to be some infrastructure money available. There may be some businesses in that particular area working on something, universities, et cetera. And we all get together and think strategically about how we can uh, utilize and leverage this money together. We can, we can do better by everybody in the long run and want to make sure um, that we're thinking that way. So we're very proud and, and pleased today to be together talking about that issue and bringing you a great group of panelists. Um, I'd now like to introduce Steve Curry uh, from the Michigan Association of Counties. Steve's the executive director. He's got a few words to say as well before we kick into the meat of the program. Steve. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate the uh, introduction. Yeah, I mean, I don't have too much to add from what Dan said. I do would like to highlight a couple of things. Dan mentioned some of the words he used there because I think it's important to do so. Uh, he used the term transformational. I think that's important when we're looking at these funds. Uh, I think cooperation is an important term to highlight as well. You know, as we're looking at these funds, everyone's getting a different amount, some a lot, some a little. Let's make sure we use these funds as best as possible and we make them go as far as possible. Uh, I think this is an exciting time. This is an unprecedented investment in local government. And I think, uh, you know, uh, through through our partners with, with MML and, and the state, uh, we're trying to do uh, all we can to make sure these funds go as far as possible and we're, we're transforming our communities. Uh, so thanks to MML, we appreciate the partnership. Uh, I think you got a great panel of speakers here that can help answer some questions now and going forward. Uh, and as a reminder, you know, if you do have questions, there is a Q&A tab at the bottom of your Zoom there. You can use that to answer any questions and the presenters will be able to do so as they're presenting or at the end if you have some that come up. So with that, I'll turn it over to Shanna and she will kind of take it from there. Thank you, Steve, I appreciate that. Um, and I'll just add my welcome to everybody um, as well. So thanks for joining us today. Um, Kristen, could you advance the slides just to, oh, sorry, I'll hit this really quickly. Uh, this is just a quick agenda for the day, I think. <clears throat> um, both Dan and, and, and Steve touched on this, but we're going to uh, talk a little bit about how MML and MAC can help you all strategize and plan for your ARP funds um, this afternoon. And then we're going to hear from the team at Plant Moran about some of the reporting, applying some of the technical requirements with Treasury, and then we'll do some Q&A at the end. So as Steve mentioned, feel free to just uh, put your questions in the Q&A 
if we can answer them live in that chat, we will do so. Otherwise, we'll go through those questions at the end of uh, the presentations. So uh, next slide, please. You can keep going. There we go, serve my city. Um, so I'm gonna kick us off and talk a little bit about what the Michigan Municipal League has been doing and is doing to try to help some of our members as we leverage, leverage these dollars. Um, last summer, when the CARES Act funding was coming out, we really quickly realized that a lot of our communities just did not have the capacity. You know, we've been cut um, to the bone, many of you. Um, in terms of resources and just staff capacity to understand what needed to happen to apply for those dollars, to access those dollars, spend them. And so we decided to launch this program, Serve My City, um, as, a, as a potential answer to that. Next slide. So you can see here, last summer when CARES Act came out, we, we, we took uh, some of our own funding, the League's own funding, and we partnered with our colleagues over at Public Sector Consultants and Tim Dempsey is, is on here and will be available for some questions as well. Um, and the idea behind it was to just to provide some of that capacity. Um, if you had questions, if you needed help with an application, um, if you needed help understanding sort of some of the reporting uh, requirements, we could do that. And the idea was to you know, make it so that all of our communities could access their do those dollars. And in fact, that $100,000 we spent you know, for the program and, and to do this leveraged $33 million that you all acquired for your communities, which was just fantastic. Um, but 20% of our Michigan communities actually returned their federal stimulus dollars, um, didn't use them. So, and that was for a variety of reasons, but in a lot of cases it was, you know, they either didn't have, you know, the ability to, to do it or to put the time towards it. And we just don't wanna see that again as we are going into American Rescue Plan funding. We want the Michigan communities to fully take advantage and maximize and, and use these dollars to leverage additional dollars where we can. So um, as you all know, there's direct allocations for local government in the American Rescue Plan for local governments, but the state of Michigan's also getting some of this funding and we are anticipating they're gonna be putting that into different programs, which will also um, in many cases probably be grant funded type programs. So we think there will be some opportunities there and probably some needs that you all have in thinking through what those opportunities look like, how to apply and go after those. Next slide, please, Kristen. Um, so we have a couple goals um, for this. And, and I think, you know, Dan and Steve very eloquently said this, that we're, we're really encouraging our communities to think about, you know, sustainable and transformational projects and um, ways to use these dollars. How can communities invest your ARP money into things that will pay dividends for your community for many years to come? So we have sort of three tranches of work that we are doing through the Serve My City program. One is our short-term technical assistance. It's very much like what we offered last summer. Um, and again, doing that with our partners, public sector consultants. So, you know, and this can be as, as small or as big as you need. Um, if you have questions, you know, about uh, whether something's an eligible project, if you have questions on some of the forms or how to access the portal, we can, um, we can help you kind of walk through that process. We could help, you know, fill out or, um, you know, prepare applications as needed. So 
it's we're envisioning this as you know kind of short term you just need a little bit of help to kind of get you over the hump to get this you probably already know what you're doing in terms of the spending and the dollars and you just you just need some help with the technical side in addition we oh can you go back one sorry we are um, also offering some longer term strategic assistance and this level of assistance is, you know, maybe your community has some ideas about what you want to do with the dollars, but you're not quite sure you maybe need some help with discussions between, you know, staff and elected officials to do some, you know, um, discussion and some prioritization. Perhaps you need some assistance analyzing impacts of certain types of investment. So a little bit deeper dive we're, we're talking about. And this level of assistance is going to um, is likely going to be cost shared by locals. We the legal put um, pay for part of that cost with our with either us or experts that we are partnering with, and then uh, local communities would cost share part of that. And we'll have some more details um, probably at the end of next week on what that scope looks like and what that cost share requirement will be. And then finally, we're also envisioning that some of our communities just need help with communications. We realize again, as a lot of you have kind of you know been pared down at City Hall, communications staffing is often one of the first things to go. And so uh, some of our communities are you know kind of know where they are, or maybe they just want some help doing community engagement. They need some help with messaging or reaching out to the community about the decisions on spending once those have been made. So we have expertise available here at the league and through this program to help with that as well. So really the key is we don't want any of our communities to leave money on the table. We want you to access all of the dollars you can. We want you to find ways to leverage those dollars with additional dollars. And we're really hoping that we can help you to develop partnership with some of the businesses in your communities and nonprofit organizations and philanthropy. And we really see this as an opportunity to build some trust within your community and within your regions and to you know, share and, and, and weave a very positive narrative for your community about how these dollars can have a potentially significant impact. But, you know, whether those are sort of smaller dollars or bigger dollars, they can still have an incredibly positive impact on your community. So that's what we're trying to offer through this. Um, you can hit the next slide, Kristen. And my, oops, I think, oh, there it is. My contact information is here. If you're interested in getting some help through this program, please email me and we will connect you with uh, either someone here on our league team or with public sector or one of our other um, experts, depending on what your needs are. That's it. And I'm going to turn it over. I think she's on there. Yeah, there she is, Sarah, to Sarah Razor from Guidehouse, who's going to talk about some of what um, Michigan Association of Counties is doing. Thank you so much. Can everyone hear me okay? Take it as a yes. I'm, I'm Sarah Razor and I'm a client relationship executive with Guidehouse. Um, and we are proud partners of the Michigan Association of Counties. I'm going to walk through how you can use their cooperative purchasing program to help you uh, plan and use your ARPA funds. But first, I'm going to do a brief introduction of Guidehouse. Um, also joining me today is Gabby Bryant. She is attending and will help with some technical questions later on if needed. So if we can go ahead and advance to the next slide. Awesome. All right, so Guidehouse at a glance. So we are a full service consulting firm and we really focus a lot of our efforts on disaster recovery, grant management. We do a lot of technology implementations, but we also, um, our roots are really in our financial advisory services. 
If you don't know us by name, you likely know us by our reputation. Uh, we are the former state and local government practice of PricewaterhouseCoopers. And we've worked with many cities and counties already in, in the state of Michigan, including the state of Michigan. Um, we have offices in Ann Arbor and Detroit, and we have 10,000 employees worldwide. So if we can go ahead and go to the next slide, please. Thanks. So Guidehouse is a leader in COVID-19 uh, relief consulting. Through the CARES Act and through ARPA, we've provided grant management, financial services, and compliance services to more than 28 um, states, counties, and city governments, and also 42 healthcare systems. We have a large healthcare practice. We can go to the next slide, please. So most of the folks that we work with uh, right now understand that we, we're really in a transformational moment. And it's a very unprecedented time. And it leads many uh, leaders to wonder, where do we even begin? And so this is a question that we hear a lot in our work. Um, how do you manage the resources? How do you identify priorities? How do you create new processes and tracking? How do you engage with these federal agencies and ensure that you're making the most out of every funding source? So I really liked what Shana said earlier. We don't want anybody to leave any money on the table. And for many local governments, this is the largest uh, grant in your local government's history. And you may not have the staff or in-house expertise uh, to really tackle this alone. Um, and we appreciate that you're really under a lot of pressure to have the right answers and you know that your answers and your decisions are documented and they have to be communicated with your constituents. And really importantly, you want them to be the right decision. Um, this is just a huge moment in history. And so if we can go to the next slide, please. So fortunately, you all have an amazing resource with your uh, Michigan Association of Counties um, through their cooperative purchasing program. Um, you've, they've they put together this program back in, um, I think earlier this spring, they uh, did a cooperative contract with Livingston County. Um, Livingston County issued an RFP for, uh, to engage in professional COVID-19 consulting services. So the way this works is local governments can piggyback off of this competitively bid contract vehicle. Um, and this contract is now available for one year period with up to two renewals. So for a total of three years. And then based on the current guidelines, you can use your ARPA funding to engage in these consulting services. So there's not really like an out-of-pocket kind of fee associated with it. it can come through your ARPA funding. So can we go to the next slide? Thank you. So what do these services include through this contract? So you can use this contract vehicle to help um, identify funding opportunities and assessments to help you prioritize goals. You can use the vehicle for administering grants, for auditing and budget services, and uh, very importantly for those internal controls um, and much, much more. This is a very flexible um, ability to use this contract. And then the last slide, please. So Guidehouse is one of three uh, partners that you can work with through this contract vehicle. And just to kind of give you kind of a real world sense of what it would look and feel like to engage with this, we use kind of a common sense two-phase approach. So in phase one, we would help a local government um, assess your needs, your funding priorities, and how to match those up with your eligibility requirements so you can take full advantage of those funds. And then we also provide that technical assistance component to help you determine your existing funding, calculate your lost revenue, and design your new programs. And then in phase two, that's when we really focus in on the project management component, the program administration itself, and then very importantly, the compliance component. But I do want to note, this is very customizable. This is just really for illustrative purposes. Um, we would certainly I'd be happy to work with you wherever your, wherever your local government needs really are. And the last slide, please. So hopefully this is just a very high level shot at how you can engage to get started. Um, I do want to thank Michigan Association of Counties and 
the league for hosting this webinar today and, and especially for this cooperative purchasing program. I think in times like this where it's, you know, local governments are just facing a, an incredible amount of challenges, the power of your associations is really more prevalent now than ever. It's so important for local governments to kind of come together, share ideas and collaborate. And I just want to give the kudos uh, to Mac and then also to the league for being you know, having the vision to put this together long in advance so that you all can take advantage of these type of programs now um, and save that staff time and really take advantage of uh, the work that Livingston County did to competitively bid. So with that, um, I will hand it over to Dave for uh, to get into kind of the meat of about ARPA. Thanks, Sarah. Um, my name is Dave Hellesek. Um, I'm a auto partner with Plan Moran, and with me this afternoon now is Manju Panayak. Uh, she's a manager with the firm. And we're here to cover some of the, I'll say, the reporting and maybe auditing and compliance components of the, the different monies that your local units are receiving uh, you know, over the next, I'll say, couple years at this point. Um, do appreciate both the, uh, the MML and the MEC for allowing us to the opportunity to present, present to you all today. Um, while Manju will be covering a majority of, of the presentation, if we could forward maybe a couple slides here and we go over the overview. Uh, I'm not gonna go through each of these specifically, Manju is going to, to, to touch each, on each of them in, in detail, but um, just a, a couple of things I wanna make sure that, that we're all aware of. Um, our presentation today is, I was going to say, is based on the most recent information that is available. And of course, last night, a whole new set of FAQs was updated. Um, that has not been incorporated in this presentation yet. We haven't had a chance as a firm to vet through that information. So um, just so everyone on this call is aware, there, there are some FAQs that became available, I think, overnight or, or late yesterday. So if you get a chance, um, you know, and you're able to spend some time on that, um, you should do so. Um, what I was uh, excited to hear was um, from the previous presenters was, you know, all of the discussions around planning. Um, I know our firm in talking with our clients, um, uh, there's, these are significant dollars that are flowing, flowing through the local units, um, you know, cities, townships, villages, counties. Um, and I, I think the key and what really is different is really the focus on, on planning. Um, when, when we take a look at, at really the timeframes uh, that were that are ahead of us as far as spending and obligating, um, obligating we're out a couple years and, and actual spending is, is two years further. So the importance of planning um, is really key here. Um, you know, as, as some of the previous speakers said, um, you know, how are you going to, how, how can these monies be used collaboratively with you know other local units um, that have the same goals and goals in mind. It's not like these dollars need to be spent um, by December 31st of this year or even June of next year. So again, uh, the really the key is the planning. You know what is the best use of these dollars um, on a go forward basis. Um, I guess the other thing I want to uh, to, to make clear before we go into, into the presentation, we're, we're providing a lot of information that we think will be a val valuable. A lot of it is around financial reporting compliance that do have impacts not only on your annual financial statement audits, but your upcoming um, single audits. So there may be many of you 
who have receiving monies or have received monies that have never had a single audit before and uh, or, or maybe maybe once every five to 10 years and um, you'll have a new challenge based on the dollars that flow through that you may have single audit reporting requirements uh, in this current year. So um, we're, hope, we're hopeful that, that's, um, that this information will be beneficial to, to you all. Um, but what I would say is, before I turn it over to Manju, is you know, keep up with all the information. I know that there's a lot that continues to flow. Um, you know, the league, the, the, the MAC is getting information and disseminating out to everyone. Our, I know a lot of the accounting and auditing firms are doing the same thing. Um, when you do have questions, please reach out to, to all the resources you have. And then I guess finally, while there's a lot of information that we will be discussing today, uh, I, we're, we're going to try to avoid getting into specific allowability or eligibility questions. Um, you know, as we've all seen, the framework uh, around this is pretty specific to your, you know, your individual local unit. And as I've talked with some of my clients is, you know, just because your neighbor has determined there's an eligible, I'll say cost um, that, that they're going to use those monies for, you should not be relying on what your neighbor's doing. You need to make sure you're going through the framework yourself and, and determining that it would be allowable um, for your local unit of government. So with that, um, I'm going to turn it over to Manju, who will walk through the, the, the slide deck that we've prepared. Uh, we've probably got about 30 minutes and we'll be available for questions afterwards. So I'll turn it over to you, Manju. Thank you, Dave. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, if we could move to slide five, please. The next one. So just a quick overview. You've all heard about the relief funds. Um, so when the funds were announced, they broke out the recipients into two different categories. Um, one is the entitlement communities, and these are communities that are direct recipients of CDBG funding from the Department of Housing and Urban Development. And then you had the other category, which is your non-entitlement units or NEUs that didn't fall under the first category basically or weren't a state or a county. So non-entitlement units will be receiving fund funding from the state. So in our case, it would be the state of Michigan. But the one thing to note here that's really important is that even though the flow of the money is coming from the state of Michigan, the non-entitlement units will still be considered direct recipients of the fiscal relief funds from the United States Department of Treasury. So, you know, just keeping that in mind, I think there are a few things, though, that the non-entitlement units need to kind of think about when they're trying to understand how these funds are being allocated. So with that, if we could move down to the next set of slides, um, we can talk about the application portal. So. Um, the way the allocations of these funds took place is the entitlement units received their allocations based on their total uh, community development block grant entitlement allocation. So that was already predetermined by the US Department of Treasury. But for the non-entitlement units, the allocation methodology is based on what is called your top line budget. And the state of Michigan actually provided 
a clarification on their interpretation of what the top line budget is, which is essentially your um, total budget that was in place as of uh, January 27th, 2020. So it would be for all funds that have you're required to budget for as of January 27, 2020. And then if you have certain funds for which you haven't budgeted for or are not required to budget for, then you would use the actual expenditures incurred based on your most recent audit that took place. So for instance, if you're looking at your 2020 budget, fiscal year 2020 budget, you would, you would take a look at your total budgets and amendments made to your 2020 budget as of January 27, 2020. And then you would add in actual expenditures incurred in those funds that you haven't had a budget for or you're not required to budget for as per your fiscal year 2019 audited financial statements, the actual expenditures for your fiscal year 2019 audited financial statements. The accumulation of that would be your top line budget, and then the allocation would be capped at 75% of that. So it's really important to remember that your allocation cap is going to be 75% of that top line budget. Um, and in order to do that, there are a few things you're going to have to do in order to be able to get the money from the state of Michigan. So if we could move to the next slide, we can talk about what our NEUs need to do in order to get the funding. So the state has set up what's called the elite system. This was available, the, the portal was open on the 7th of July and um, the recommended due date is July 27th. So it's fast coming up. So it's gonna be really important to make sure that you're able to get all the documents that are required to be submitted uh, prior to that July 27th date. So let's talk about what does the NEU have to submit to the state of Michigan. So your municipal tax ID, your DUNS number, and there is this customer vendor number and address ID, which is on the state's Sigma vendor self-service payment system. So it, the instructions are available on the state's website and I've included a link in here. Um, so you would have to have all these information readily available when you start completing the application within the elite system. And then the fourth item that you're gonna to need to have is that top line budget number that we were talking about on the previous slide. In addition to doing this, if we could move to the next slide, please. In addition to doing this, there are three attachments that need to be included. Um, one is a funding election and a budget certification form. The other one is the awards and conditions form that needs to be signed off on. And then there is a compliance with Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1965 form that needs to be signed off on. And all of these need to be uploaded to that elite system. Um, the, Mich the Michigan Department of Treasury ARPA site is actually pretty well setup where all of the information is clearly listed within there. So as you're going through the process, you will see what all you need to submit. And all, there are links to all these forms right there. So hopefully the process shouldn't be too complicated in order to get that um, elite 
uh, the portal completed and submitted. So once you get the funds, what do you do? So if we could move down a couple of slides, we'll talk about some reporting requirements. Recently, around the end of June, the United States Department of Treasury provided the reporting requirements. And as you can see that for the entitlement communities, at least the first reporting deadline is August 31st, 2021. For the NEUs, there currently isn't any reporting deadline that's looming, but uh, your first reporting deadline for an NEU will be October 31st, 2021. So once that's filed, then you're going to have to annually file a report, um, which is the project expenditure report. Now, while, you're, while these reports do require you to put in your expenditures and your plans to date, um, and you know, uh, earlier Dave also mentioned that because there is this long runway for the use of the funds, unlike several of the funding opportunities that came through the CARES Act, um, it's still important to sort of consider what is the best way to spend these funds. So it's still okay to have a blank report submitted that you don't have any activity yet. So just sort of keep that in mind when you're completing these reports, it's not required that you have to have some activity in order to file these reports. Even a blank report is appropriate. Um, the next slide that we put together actually goes into a little bit more detail about these reports. Um, you know, basically the first report does not apply to any use. It only applies to states and entitlement communities. So that's a one-time report, um, and that's the first report that's due, which is the at the end of August. Um, and then the project and expenditure report is the main report that is going to apply to the NEUs, which is activity through September 30th, 2021, with the report due as of October 31, 2021. And then the subsequent reports will be annual for the NEUs, and then for the non-NEUs, it's going to be a quarterly report. And then finally, that plan performance report that's at the um, end of the slide is only due for the non-NEUs, and it is due, um, the first one's due, obviously, end of August, and then it's going to be an annual report that's going to be submitted. Um, if we could move down a couple of slides, as you know, Dave had mentioned earlier that uh, these funds are subject to a single audit. So basically, a single audit is an audit of your federal expenditures for any fiscal year. And if you have expenditures of $750,000 or more in a given fiscal year, you will be subject to a single audit. Um, the uh, the uh, fiscal recovery funds have a assistance listing number or what we previously known it as as the CFDA number of 21.027. So the one thing I'd like to sort of caution everyone on is that in order to get the funding out quickly, what Treasury did was they did use the coronavirus relief fund CFDA number of 21.019. But now that we know that the new funds are 21.027, the Treasury has said that please go ahead and update all your 
reporting your reports, your documentation to properly reflect that 21.027 report. I think um, that is something just to be cautious, but for the any use, that really shouldn't be an issue because what because the state is only now providing the funding and the new uh, assistance listing number is already available. So you should be seeing all the funds come through that 21.027 um, number. I, I really would like to talk about a little bit about some of the administrative requirements that we should be thinking about. So if we could move to the next slide. So many of you may have seen coronavirus relief fund come through the state because the state had three different programs through which they provided the funding. Um, and you may have had a single audit because coronavirus relief fund would have probably put you over the threshold if you weren't already over the threshold. But there is a big difference between the coronavirus relief fund and the recovery funds. And the difference is that the administrative requirements and the cost principle requirements under uniform guidance, which is the overarching guidance for single audits and administration of federal funds, did not apply to coronavirus relief fund, but it does apply to the fiscal relief fund. And, in, and that is a big deal because under uniform guidance, it is really important to understand what are the requirements you need to be in compliance with. And the most important requirements would be internal controls and related documentation. So it's really important to start looking at um, what are the compliance requirements that you need to comply with in order to administer this particular grant. Evaluate your internal controls as they stand right now related to each of these compliance requirements. And see if you identify any gaps. And if you do, then you would need to implement controls and processes to bridge these gaps. Additionally, uniform guidance does stress upon certain required written, written policies. And uh, we've outlined some of them within this slide. Um, and it would be really important for communities to make sure that these written policies are in place and that you're complying with these written policies. Um, one of the things we want, I think we can move down. Manju, before we move on to the next slide, if I could just add a couple of things on, on, on some of the slides you've most recently covered. Yeah. Um, you know, as it relates to the reporting requirements, I think the one thing, especially those of you who have not had single audits prior or, or really, you know, federal grants that require reporting, um, you know, that, that starts now. Um, so, so keep that in mind, Manju, I think did a nice job of laying out now out the timelines. Um, as far as the $750,000, um, I'll say threshold that, that Manju had indicated for single audits. So that's not 750,000 for a specific program. That is $750,000 of your total federal expenditures. So keep that in mind, you know, the, your, your distribution, you know, through treasury might be in the neighborhood of 600,000, but if you've got another 150,000 of, of various other federal grants, you will be subject to a, a, a single audit um, this year and, and perhaps the upcoming years. Again, depending on, we, it, it's, it's expenditure driven, so keep that in mind, um, but it's not just on a program basis. 
Um, the other thing is related to the uniform guidance that we've got in front of us right now on the slide. And, uh, you know, a lot of the questions um, I'll say that come up with, with clients I've had who, who have received grant funding in the past, um, but didn't have enough expenditures where it generated a, a single audit, um, you know, performed by, by auditing firm. And, and the question comes up, well, if it's a, you know, if, if you're not doing a single audit, you're not going to end up testing procurement and policies. And, and you're right. If there's not a single audit, we're not going to go in and, and do the testing as it relates to, to, to the single audit requirements, which might be deficient. However, your granting agency can do that. So I think it's an important whether or not you anticipate a single audit or not, that you have these controls in place while not being audited or required to be auditing by your auditing firm, the grantor can come in at any time and, and, and basically do a, a, a field review um, of, of your compliance um, related to you know, the, these types of matters. So I just, I just wanna make sure just, just because you don't have a single audit requirement doesn't mean that you are, you know, don't have to, to follow all these requirements related to the uniform guidance. Turn back over to you, Manjo. Thank you, Dave. I think those are some excellent comments. Um, I do want to make one um, additional clarification to what Dave added is that $750,000 is expenditures. It's not awards received. So you need to have total federal expenditures, meaning expenditures of federal awards of $750,000 or more in a given year. And as Dave mentioned, it's not just one program you're looking at, you're looking at your reporting entity as a whole. And thank you for that, Dave. Um, we can maybe move down a couple of slides and we can talk about revenue loss, um, which has been a, uh, you know, a a pretty big topic of discussion. So as we all know, the fiscal relief funds, one of the eligible expenditure categories is to create a revenue loss calculation. But it's really important to note that once you calculate your revenue loss, it's not considered free money. You still need to be able to spend it towards eligible government services. And um, so that's really important to remember. And then um, you know, depending on your revenue sources that your community receives, you know, depending on income tax revenue um, and such, it's possible that the revenue loss calculation may really not be as significant. Um, so that's something to keep in mind when you're thinking about uh, probably trying to carve out some of your award towards this particular eligible category. Um, and like I've said, like I've said to many of my clients that sometimes just using it towards some of the other three um, categories may be a simpler option than going down this path of calculating revenue loss. Um, just keeping in mind that the calculation is pretty complicated. And right now there is this, the, the calculation is as of December 31st and uh, going forward three other points as of December 31st. And many of our Michigan communities are not December year ends. You are um, 630 year ends. So that calculation may be a little bit more cal uh, uh, complicated because of this off year end uh, 
point in time where you calculate that revenue loss. Um, however, we'll have to wait and see when the final register comes out um, to see what US Department of Treasury does. And this is where, again, I'd, I'd like to remember, remind you all of a comment that Dave made earlier when we started our presentation is this, there is a long runway uh, to spend these grants. So let's take advantage of it and think about what's the best way to use these funds that have been um, received under this particular program. Um, the next thing I wanna talk about is um, revenue recognition for your financial statement purposes. So if we could move down a few slides, please. Thank you. So revenue recognition is going to be, um, it'll be really important to understand when you can recognize revenue for these funds, because once um, you, the funds are going to be up, given upfront, so you will be holding the cash in your hand. So it's gonna be important to understand what is your trigger to recognize revenue. So the key, key question in mind is GASB 33, which um, says that when you have a non-exchange transaction, um, you have to look at what eligibility requirements apply to those funds in order to recognize revenue in your financial statements. So one of the stipulations, um, eligibility stipulations for ARPA is that you incur eligible expenditures. So until you incur the expenditure, you cannot recognize the revenue. And if you move to the next slide, um, it basically also further says that uh, until you recognize the revenue, any cash you receive upfront will essentially be a, a liability. And then once you incur the expenditures, you can then recognize revenue related to those expenditures. Furthermore, it's important to understand that in instances where a contract or a contractual ag agreement needs to be in place, incurrence of costs alone is not going to allow you to recognize revenue if there isn't an executed contract. So in case a contractual agreement is required, please make sure the executed agreement is in place before you start recognizing the revenue for those expenditures. Um, one other thing I wanted to point out, if we move to the next slide, please. Thank you. So at the end of the day, um, when you receive the ARPA funds in advance, you will report a liability or unearned revenue and then no revenue or receivables cannot be recognized until you have an officially executed award in hand. So um, I think the executed award is an important trigger in order for you to be able to start determining what financial statement repercussions or implications are there uh, with regards to these ARPA funds. With that, um, we actually come to the end of our presentation. We have provided some resources right after this slide. Um, if you're members of the GFOA, if we can move, thank you. Mike, you're before we go on to that, if I could just, I couldn't find my mouse. I was all over the place. Okay. So just, if, 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 I just wanna, related to the, um, you know, the, I guess the approval of the grant application, um, you know, especially with, with, 
you know, most of the cities that are probably on this call being June 30 and, and the timing of the, the applications, um, you know, there are, are clearly going to be many instances where eligible expenditures were recorded in the fiscal year 21, but the grant quote unquote wasn't approved until their 21-22 year. Yeah. Um, you know, in instances like that, what you know, what does a CIFA look like? And I maybe just in a in a very general, general way is can you know, if they've got eligible expenditures in 21 that, that we know, and it's just a matter of getting the grant executed, would we normally, and I'll say normally, because there's going to be, you know, different circumstances may, may create different results, but normally, where would we expect expenditures like that to fall in, in the grant, in the year that they were incurred or in the year that the grant was, was finally approved? That's a great question, Dave. Um, so because the grant is not approved as of June 30th, 2021, technically whatever expenditures you incurred don't haven't have not have not uh, let's say a federal uh, revenue associated with them. So they're not federal expenditures in 2020. So your CIFA or schedule of expenditures in fiscal year 2020 will not show any federal expenditures related to ARPA. Now come to 2021, when the grant is signed, then yes, potentially there could be some um, capacity to show those expenditures. So in fiscal year 2020, because you don't have the grant, your schedule of expenditures of federal awards in fiscal year 2020 will not show those expenditures. Yeah. So, so again, yeah. Just make sure you're 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 thinking that part through from a compliance perspective. Yeah. Um, again, I know there's many of you who are familiar with that concept to have worked with maybe similar type grant agreements, but for for the new folks, um, you, you really need to to keep in mind when that grant was officially awarded to your local unit of government, because that may dictate um, that a uh, uh, for for your C for your or your single audit. The expenditures being reported on, uh, you know, on it, within that document may be different than how it's reported in your basic financial statement um, um, report. Yeah, that's a great point, Dave. I think with that, um, I'm gonna, uh, you know, we've listed some resources here. Uh, please feel free to reach out to your auditors, um, to Plant Moran, if you have any questions. Um, and with that, I'm going to turn it back to, um, I think we're going to take questions now. Yeah, we will do some questions now. Um, and I'm just going to ask some of the, uh, the technical folks who are panelists, if you would just turn your camera, if you can, you can turn your cameras back on can't, that's fine as well. Um, and I'll try to, you know, combine some where we can, and then I'll just throw them out and whoever can answer, we can jump in. But um, we got a couple questions about the calculator and what months to use. So somebody gave the example of, 
if you know do you calculate the actual revenue as of 12 31 20 if you're an fy19 we got a couple communities that have a april 1 fiscal year so what what months would they actually use is it you know a calendar year up through 2020 is it 18 months is it six months anybody knows the answer to that feel free to jump in otherwise we can get back to folks So well, what I was going to say is I, I, I wasn't following the Q&A, but in that question, Shana, are they referring, is that question referring to the revenue loss calculation or is that question relearning, uh, referring to the, the, the top line budget question? Leave, and let me just look, because there's a few okay. uh, we're looking at this, but I think that they were looking at that for uh revenue loss but i'm just looking at some of because there was three sort of different questions related to that top line budget. jessica is saying yeah the top line budget amy is saying for the revenue loss calculator so both. okay i'll let you answer it i'll let you answer it manju i just wanted to clarify that yeah so let's talk about the revenue loss piece first um, the way the revenue loss calculation says is you have to look at the revenues that you earned in your uh, base year, which is your last fiscal year before the pandemic was declared. So for a 630 year end, that would be fiscal year ended June 30th, 2019. So that's your base year. And then you calculate as of your first date when you can calculate revenue loss would be 1231, 2020. That's your first date. But that has to be a 12-month period and a 12-31-2020. So you're going to calculate your uh, lost revenue in comparison to your base year for a 12-month period. And I think that's what they're trying to say. Am I looking at a 12-month period or an 18-month period if I'm a June 30th year end? And it has to be a 12-month period. Yeah, and so I think, and I think you just answered that. So somebody had the question about even though those revenue losses were sort of summer, fall, and winter in 2020, they're saying that wouldn't be eligible. But I think I just heard you say that it, that is eligible for the revenue loss calculations, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. And you'll, there are, you know, um, you'll revisit it every December. And so that is the other part of it as well. And so you, you know, still take your same base year, but you can revisit um, for the eligible period for the next, you know, four years um, uh, every December. Great. Yeah. Okay. That's an important yeah. point, Shanna. I think when we, when members are looking at this, they need to keep in mind that this is not a, a static loss. This is a right. dynamic loss period. So for many communities that might still be facing property tax appeals uh, related to commercial property, uh, this this dynamic formula will account for those additional losses as we move through the next few years. And um, just also to kind of chime in once more, um, there and there are, and I think that Mandu actually covered this, but there are um, you know two options for revenue loss. So you can take you know your actual revenue losses, or you can take the 4.1% uh, that the federal government is offering as kind of just the average. And, you know, for 
folks who kind of have an understanding of the expected growth and realize that maybe 4.1% might be a little bit higher, it is to your benefit then to both from a simplicity standpoint, but also to you'll be able to uh, move more of those into that revenue loss category as well with just that simple calculation of uh, 4.1%. Yeah. And, and to add on that, I, th I know Chris and I have had discussions and I think between us, we have submitted through different organizations, so, some FAQs is this is all in great, but what if I'm not at 1231 year end and I don't necessarily, you know, track it, track this information, you know, because I'm a June 30 or I'm a, I'm a March year in our counties or a September. So it's probably going to be a little bit heavier of a lift unless there's some clarification that that changes that. So I think we're we, you know, I'll say we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed. We'll, we'll, we'll see what happens to see if it's more flexible anyways around a local unit's actual, you know, fiscal year end. But at, at this point, as of, I'll say yesterday, I haven't read through the FAQs, it's still holding at 1231. Um, okay, we got a question about um, where to record revenue. Somebody asked a question about, um, infrastructure improvements and utilizing the funding, they're planning to use it for sewer infrastructure improvements. And we've seen recommendations to record that into fund 2285 stimulus grant fund or whether that should go directly into their sewer fund. Um, is there some guidance on that or someplace you can point them related to that? I don't know if that we've, we've gotten into that. Um, yeah, so I, I saw the guidance that came in Treasury, so I'm going to be very careful not to okay. contradict anything that's coming through there. But normally GAP would say, and, and I, you know, it sounds like it's a good auditor that's talking here, is you'd record the revenue in the fund that's incurring the cost. So, you know, especially if it's the definitive like that, because, you know, ultimately, if we'll get, you know, kind of accounting geeky here, um, you know, in a financial statement, if we brought it into 285, for instance, um, and then ended up tr transferring it, it would show, it would look like a transfer. Uh, the reality mm -hmm. is in the sewer fund in this instance, there was federal grant revenue that came through, which is treated and reported differently. So um, I, I would, this would be one of those things that spends more time with your aud auditor on it or your accountant, but I would say historically we record that type of transaction that goes into an enterprise fund as an actual federal grant. Now, again, it's not recorded as revenue until, you know, the, the costs are incurred. So could, you know, in the meantime, until it's incurred, could it sit in 285 as, as, as Manju had indicated as a, um, you know, a cash balance and some sort of unearned revenue? I mean, I, as an audit partner, I wouldn't be opposed to that because it's just really, you know, it's a placeholder until you're figuring out where to spend it. But I suspect ultimately in this case, the expectation from a gap standpoint would probably be to record those revenues in the fund itself versus showing it as a transfer because that would be the only way to go through. But again, I would spend the time, you know, make sure you're, you're, you're speaking with your auditor or whatever consultant you're using um, to, to report your financial information. Okay, great. Um, we have a question here about, does our city commission need to approve the acceptance of ARPA funds or can the city manager who is their chief administrative officer accept the funds by completing a form 
Why not? I've had a conversation. Go ahead, Tim. Well, I was just going to say, so I was just going to say that the chief administrative officer is defined under state statute, right, does allow for city managers, but you have to rely on your own ordinances and charter. So you want to check that if your city manager is authorized under these circumstances, um, you can do it, but oftentimes um, that might not be the case. And the other aspect of this, you've been telling people for transparency's sake, these are things that you really want to have your elected leadership involved in. It's not a bad idea, even if the city manager can, to think about having that as a formal action on their part. And I think from, from Treasury's perspective, requesting the funds, the resolution doesn't necessarily have to, if your local ordinances or local charter do require uh, the, the elected body to approve, that's not necessarily a component piece that has to go into Michigan Treasury with that application. All that's required for Michigan Treasury is what's on their NEU portal right now. But you do have your own internal uh, guidance or policies or charter ordinances you do have to comply with. I felt like Gabby wanted to do some like snap snapping on what Tim was saying. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, and the I form, mean... <laughs> the form has small print that talks about referencing back to your local requirements. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so like, you know, we even though we're kind of dealing with a very right now the same rules for your like kind of for your local charter they still apply you still have to follow those same types of rules and then too just from a um you know what to a little bit to re-emphasize what chris said it's that it's very important to make this a collaborative and kind of open process um just from like a um from a community standpoint uh you want to make sure that the community knows that you know they're being listened to and that funds are kind of being taken into uh, into their community with uh, some really strong consideration about what's going to be most beneficial. Just on that, I know the league has some information on our webpage. I'm sure uh, MAC has information on their page just with regard to how other communities are handling some of that public facing uh, transparency and involvement of the whole community. You know, you've got different examples across different types of communities on how they've engaged their residents and their councils. Um, Shan, I know that's probably a, a, a component of what the Serve My City program will be engaged with as well. So definitely. Great. Um, let's see, we got a couple other questions here, you know, related to um, the revenue. Well, one is related to the revenue loss. It might be related to both. Do they need to, um, are they only using general funds or should they be including other governmental and enterprise funds in those calculations? And let me just make sure whether that's just related to the revenue loss, but I guess perhaps answer, if people have answers for both, separate funds or you know units, DDAs and other things. Is, is this for, if this is for the revenue loss, um, the way the IFR, the interim final rule currently reads is that it's, you're looking at your revenue loss at, for the entire entity, but there's really no clarification on what that is. Does it still carve out certain, uh, types of activities, um, we know for sure that um, water and sewer revenue needs to be carved out. But um, we're hoping that there'll be some FAQs 
um, that sort of clarify some of these questions because I know comments are being made to US Department of Treasury asking for such clarification. So we'll have to wait and see what we hear from them. Yeah, Manju, I think, and I, and I think as early as May, May Chris one, um, National League of Cities had one of their presentations. I don't want to say that's been a contentious item, but it's been clearly one that's been open for discussion on the, the, the inclusion or exclusion of, of public utility type revenue in those calculations. I, I don't know, I'm not aware that there's been really much movement, if any, since you know the initial rules come up. But at, at the same time, I, again, I'm, I'm aware of of, of a number of associations and, and locals looking for clarification on that specific issue. And that in, you know, for, I think I posted in the, in the chat part, the, the guidance or the FAQ updates from last night do start to talk about some of that, but I, I'll, I'll note here, it's a good time to note that the interim rule uh, is under public comment period until Friday, so tomorrow. So uh, local units are encouraged to, uh, again, in addition to what MML and MAC I know have done, uh, what uh, uh, MGFOA, uh, what the National League of Cities have done, you know, individual communities are also encouraged to submit public comment as they have questions or concerns with the way the interim guidance uh, looks right now. So that's definitely, there's a, there's a link to that. I can, I think I posted it, like I said, in the chat. So any communities that want to add their voice uh, for U.S. Treasury to consider as they finalize this rule, tomorrow's the deadline. Okay, on that note, since we're talking about deadlines, we had a couple conver couple questions in here related to the July 27 deadline. One question was who, who determined that deadline? Was that the state or the federal treasury and it says, is that a recommendation? It says it's a recommendation, but is there a hard deadline for NEUs to apply? Chris, I know you love answering this question. So, so yes and no is the answer. Michigan Treasury has put the July 27th date for NEUs to, to request their funds out there as a recommended due date. They have done this because the state is under specific timelines to distribute those dollars according to the federal, the federal law. So the state has a certain timeline to get those dollars out or they face penalties. They have extensions they can request. And there's some discrepancy between those federal timelines and then the timelines that Treasury, uh, Michigan Treasury has to deal with. Every community has 60 days uh, before Michigan Treasury can declare them unresponsive. And then communities that are unresponsive have their dollars redistributed to other NEUs. So like I said, that, that's why the, the 27th is, is a little bit uh, Michigan Treasury's attempt to try and bridge those two different time periods that don't necessarily match. The time period for when they have to get their dollars distributed and the time period uh, related to the 60 days for non-responsiveness. Bottom line is go out and request your money now. Get the money requested. We encourage everyone to request the money. Everyone should request this money. If for some reason you feel you you aren't going to request this money, it is best to be then unresponsive to to check that third box on Treasury's form, Michigan Treasury's form, as unresponsive because that ensures those dollars stay with other local governments. 
Okay, we have just a couple more quick questions here. One I just want to hit, which is a follow-up to the component units. And uh, there was a clarification that the question about including DDAs in that top line budget was in regards to the grant not exceeding 75% of the top line budget. And so they said, I'm thinking the DDA should not be included similar to the internal service funds. Anybody have any further clarification on that or, or what we said earlier? I, so I, I don't want to, I, I don't know that I know that answer specifically, but you know, DDA isn't really part of the primary government itself. It's a separate legal entity. It's just based on, um, you know, governmental reporting that it gets rolled in and, and reported in, um, in our in, in the financial statement document. So I, I don't I want to speak speak to that. Um, I don't know if you can clarify it, Manju, but I think we, the one thing we need to keep in mind is, you know, while it looks and feels a lot like it's part of the primary government, it is a separate legal entity that just gets reported. In, in many locals' financial statements. You're right about that, Dave. And I think it's really important to go back to that State of Michigan numbered letter 2021-5, where the state has sort of defined how to calculate that top line budget. Okay, great. Um, okay, I'm gonna see we've got two last questions here. Actually, three quick ones. One is for the elite system, should a local unit have only one account? You know, for example, the city manager or should finance, treasurer, et cetera, should they all create individual sign-ins? Yeah, I don't think anyone's jumping on that one here, Shannon, because I think that one's for Treasury. Okay. I think we'd want to get um, Treasury okay. to answer that. Makes sense. And Treasury's okay. resource page has their has their email address. They are encouraging questions through their email portal. Great. Okay. Um, let's see. We have two other ones. One is, can we use revenue loss if we've received CARES Act funding? Can you repeat the question, Shanna, again? Please? Sure, and, and it's in the chat, not the Q&A, if anybody wants to see it. But um, so they asked, um, can we use revenue loss if we have received CARES Act funds? In other words, if you if they got CARES Act funds to cover their, rev, their revenue loss, um, and again, I guess, given the dynamic nature that that's going to go over time, my guess is the answer is yes. But um, yes, so if you've received CARES Act funding, you can still calculate your revenue loss. You can do the revenue loss calculation. However, um, your CARES Act funding cannot be included or any other federal funding for that matter can be cannot be included within that revenue loss calculation. Okay, makes sense. Uh, somebody asked the question about should you decline the funding instead of being unresponsive if you don't want it? I'll, I'll jump back in on, on that. I, 
declining the funding, you know, there are provisions at that point, the money goes back, we believe it even goes back to the federal government for a decline. So it certainly accept the money. You don't have to spend the money this year. You have until 24 to, to allocate it and 26 to spend it. Uh, that, that loss is dynamic over the next three years. So your losses, you could actually encounter additional losses. Uh, you have the opportunity completely outside of the pandemic to invest in infrastructure, water, sewer, and broadband. So there's, uh, and again, we, we have six and a half billion at the state level that's gotta be spent and grant opportunities for local units of government will be happening. There was a vote today in, in the Michigan Senate on, on, a, on a road funding and bridge, uh, bridge related spending that could be an opportunity. We know there's a, a major water, uh, water and sewer package that the Senate and the governor have been discussing. So there will be lots of opportunities for local units to utilize those dollars. They should accept those dollars. Uh, however, if there's some reason they are not thinking of accepting, then the unresponsive allowance, make sure that those dollars stay with local governments and don't go back to the feds. Chris, if I could just add to that, you know, so I know we as a firm, we started hearing about, you know, historically why, and there's many reasons why, um, you know, entities might not want to accept that, accept those monies. A lot of times what we're hearing is it comes down to administration and sub funds and single audits and things that they're not used to doing. And, and while we don't necessarily want to promote, you know, any sort of consultant over another, I think we've got a couple of folks on this panel that that's what they do is they're out there to help administer and, 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 you know, between the league and the county, it doesn't sound like if you, if you want the route, even if you're not familiar with it, there's a lot of resources out here and available, you know, that, that, that can perhaps help you or at least, you know, help you think through that process before you go and decline it. So, and, and I'm sure there's many more outside of, you know, who, who's joined us today, but if you feel that's, you know, your biggest hurdle, um, you know, there was a whole listing at, earlier in this uh, presentation as to, you know, different resources that might be able to make that lift a little bit lighter. Well, it's, also, and, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'd also chime in. I agree um, that you can also use your ARPA funding to help you with those consultative services too, which I think is an intentional decision because they want city, the federal government wants cities and counties to have the resources they need to administer these properly. Well, and, and you can accept the dollars today and still try and figure things out for the next few years. You don't have to use them right away. Again, you've got until 24 to, to account for them and 26 to spend them. So you don't have to, you can accept them and, and you know, again, three years from now decide there wasn't a use or an ability to use it, but you don't have to decline it today. If you decline it today, you're out. There is no coming back to it. And I think that's something Michigan Treasury and U.S. Treasury have been very clear on. So if you want to keep your options open, you need to you need to accept those dollars and request them today. Yeah, absolutely. We just we're just keep reminding of that. There are folks that can help you with that. So, and I would say, you know, as a first step, reach out to us at the league through the Serve My City program, Mac, and you know, and the folks that Sarah is representing. They can help you talk through that decision making a little before you just sort of make decisions. So, please do take advantage of that those services. Um, so. 
Um, on that note, so I think we've gotten through most of the questions. Again, the ones that are very specific about specific types of use. I think Dave answered this beautifully earlier that we can't kind of get into the, the, the specifics on those. Again, if you need some help talking through some of the decision-making and your analysis based on the guidance, you know, feel free to reach out to us and, and we can try to help you walk through what that guidance says. Several questions about that. We've posted in a couple of different places, the guidance, um, as well as Treasury's you know, FAQs. So um, make sure you're checking that out and stay you know, up to date on that. We are likely going to do some continued webinars in the coming months to just to provide as current information and Q&A forums as we can. Um, so you know, be, stay tuned for that. We also had several people ask about the slides. Yes, they will be available. I know we will be posting them on the lead site. I'm assuming Mac probably will too. I should have clarified that with, with you all before, but we are also going to send them out. If you included your email when you registered, you had to include your email. So we'll, we'll send a copy of that, including the recording. So you'll all have that as well. Um, and so I encourage you to look at those resources and stay up to speed that way. Um, Let's see, one more quick question about, should I reach out to Plammer and contact from work for Yes, we'll follow up with you specifically, Terry. I think that makes the most sense. So um, any of our panelists wanna say anything final before we close out here today? You know, just one- Sorry, go ahead. Please, sir, go ahead. I was just going to say thank you again for the opportunity. Um, I, I do associations or my background, and these are the moments that you really your associations really look strong and are so important for collaboration and getting the information out there. So kudos to Mac and the league for putting this on. Yeah, I was just going to add one more thing about that seeking resources. Obviously, there's resources here, but I think one that people overlook are just the other jurisdictions that you can partner with, especially if you're a small village. You know, I had a conversation earlier today with a very small village. They're only getting about $42,000. And there's the ability to partner with the county or other, you know, larger entities that may be already standing up programs where your money can then be utilized for your community through that program. So you don't have to take on that burden. So this is a real opportunity, I think, for some intergovernmental partnerships that we always talk about in Michigan, but we rarely um, see. So this is a, an opportunity to explore that again. So just encourage people to think about that as well. And Tim, I'm just going to take it a step further to, um, you know, our work through Wayne County. They have um, held meetings with each of uh, each of their municipalities, trying to kind of make sure that they're bridging those gaps. But also to the private and nonprofit sector are also really interested in making these dollars go further. So um, don't be afraid to reach out to um, the resources you guys have in your community to figure out how these dollars can be transformative. Um, and really meaningful uh, to the communities you guys are serving. Great. And I would echo that too, Shanna. I think we spent a lot of time today talking about the, the, the technicalities of this and that's extraordinarily important. And, and once you get your arms around that, it's time to really think about a little longer term in terms of how we can be working with this stuff. And to Gabby's point, you may get, you know, a community getting hundred thousand bucks, but a county's able to kick in some money. There's going to be a lot of federal money that's, that's ending up at the state is going to wind up in programs that you're going to be able to apply for over the next couple of years. So 
you know, your your half a million bucks or whatever it is could could easily turn into two, a two or three or four million dollar transformative project in your neighborhood, your downtown, in one of your offerings, one of your programs, you know, whatever it might be. So uh, once we get our arms around these numbers and thanks for everybody for helping us do this today and by behind the uh, technicalities of this, it's time to really start thinking strategically about how to move forward. And uh, we're very excited to help you out the league. And I, and I know uh, Steve and his crew are as well. Thanks. Absolutely. Well said. Well, thank you all. Um, as I said, if you have any follow-up questions, um, my, my email was on previous slide, but it's S as in Sam, Drehein, D-R-A-H-E-I-M at MML.org. I can try to you know, send you out to the relevant resources that you might have questions, um, folks here. I think maybe when we send out the uh, presentation, I'll make sure we include some contact information as well. So that way, if you have a couple follow-up questions that are specific for any of our panelists, you can feel free to reach out to them directly too. So thank you all so much and uh, stay tuned for, for more of these. This has been a production of the Michigan Municipal League. For more information on our programs and services, please visit www.mml.org and join us for the next episode of We Love Where You Live.